When I hear the word grace, I think of someone bringing beauty out of my biggest mistakes, being my real self, and being loved without conditions. I think about a love that's stronger, rock solid, bigger than anything I can ever imagine. When I'm really aware of God's grace, when I experience it, it's like a weight is gone. <sighs> a breath of fresh air. Freedom. It gives me hope. And when we share it with our families, our neighbors, our friends, with our church family, total strangers, we experience joy, growth, thankfulness, peace, healing. We experience more grace. When I hear the word As you can see, we are changing things up just a little bit this week, moving our message up a little earlier in the service so that we allow ourselves a little time for worship after the message. We're not just messing with you. We actually want to practice what we preach today. Or to put it another way, we want to do more than talk about grace today. We want to experience it. Of course, is our theme for this year, experiencing grace. It's the promise we are making to the world around us that you will experience grace here at Grace Chapel, not just this church, but God's grace in all of its fullness. So last week, we leaned into that word grace. What exactly does it mean? Why is it so important? Why is it so powerful? And if you remember, we, we discovered that grace is, is undeserved favor, unconditional love, unexpected kindness, unrestrained mercy, unbelievable goodness. Grace is all those things and even more. They're not enough to capture everything that grace is. That's why we're going to spend the better part of this year exploring this subject of grace. But what about that word experience? What does that mean exactly? What are we promising ourselves and the world when we use that word? Well, the dictionary helps us a little bit. defines experience as the state of having been affected or gained knowledge through direct observation or participation, or practical contact with an observation of events. Well, that's helpful. Experiencing something involves participating in contact and involvement, but, but what does it actually feel like? What does it look like to experience something? Well, a little illustration might help. I shared with you a few weeks ago that Karen and I this summer finally got to visit Ireland, something we had dreamed about for a long time, uh, both Karen's sets of grandparents emigrated from Ireland, and a bunch of relatives on my mother's side also uh, came over from Ireland. So we've always wanted to go there. All our lives, we have read about Ireland and heard about Ireland and celebrated Ireland when St. Patrick's Day rolls around. But this summer, we got to experience Ireland. For eight days, we got to tour the country, driving on the wrong side of the road, and seeing the famous and some of the not-so-famous sites there. So we saw the Book of Kells and, and the Cliffs of Moher. We waited in line an hour and a half to kiss the Blarney Stone and <laughs> stayed a night in an Irish manor house. We uh, went hiking one day in the rain, of course, and were rewarded at the end of the hike with a rainbow over Ireland at the top of the mountain. We ate fish and chips and beef and ale stew and black and white sausage and all those things. We were, for eight days, we experienced Ireland, and we enjoyed it, and we expected to. What we didn't expect was to be so affected by it. 
it felt strangely familiar to be in the land where our people came from. The more we learned, we gained an appreciation for just how beautiful the land is, but how hard their lives had been, how hard they worked, why they spent so much time in the pubs, <laughs> and while ultimately they emigrated to this country. And we came home feeling proud, grateful, more rooted in our heritage than we had ever felt before. We experienced Ireland. We were affected by active participation and personal contact with it. And it changed us. It shaped us in ways we never really expected. That's what it means to experience something. And that's what we're hoping and praying for with this thing called grace. We want to experience it, not just read about it and hear about it, but to feel it, to touch it and be touched by it. And we want that not just for ourselves, we want it for everybody. I mean, everybody's heard about grace. Everybody knows the song, Amazing Grace. But have they experienced amazing grace? Been saved, healed, transformed by this undeserved favor. That's what we're after this year for ourselves and for the wider world. But if you're going to experience something, by definition, you have to participate in it. You have to have direct contact with it. Now, fortunately, you don't have to cross the ocean to experience grace. But you do need to get involved. And so we've come up with five simple ways that you can experience grace right here, right now. We call them our steps of engagement. Engagement simply being a fancier word for experience. Five simple things anybody can do that will allow them to experience grace more fully and beautifully. Gather for worship, connect in a group, serve on a team, invite a friend, go and do. For the next five weeks, we want to walk through these simple steps from a biblical perspective and learn how we can both experience and extend grace more beautifully, more meaningfully than ever before for ourselves and for the world around us. And our prayer is that we will be changed by the experience, individually and as a church. So let's return once again to the, to the writings of the Apostle Paul, a man whose experience with grace didn't just change him, it changed the course of history. We're going to be working out of Paul's writings this fall. So today we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. We're going to discover that we experience grace when we gather for worship. We experience grace when we gather for worship. So in the spirit of direct participation and practical involvement, I'm going to suggest that we actually read this passage together responsively. So would you stand with me across all of our campuses? And we'll read this selection from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. I'll lead, and you can respond on the bold print. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In love, he predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glory. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. This is God's word. You can be seated. Well, as we mentioned last week, this book we call Ephesians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a network of churches in a region of the Roman Empire called Ephesus. Now, it's the common custom in the day, if you were writing a letter to someone, to begin with a prayer. Even pagan people began that way. A, a prayer invoking the blessings of the gods upon their readers. So it's not surprising Paul begins his letter with a prayer. What's surprising is how long it is and how deep it is. We only read half of his opening prayer. This prayer is actually what we now call a doxology, a song or a saying of praise. The writing of this doxology, the reading of this doxology is itself an act of worship. Paul begins his letter with this extended doxology, reminding his readers who God is, what God is like, and what he's doing in the wider world. The first thing that strikes me about this doxology is how grand it is, how sweeping in its scope. Notice it, it includes all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, Paul doesn't specifically name the Holy Spirit here, but he will a couple of more times as he works his way through the prayer. So this prayer, this doxology, includes all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It includes all of time. Paul reaches all the way back to before the foundations of the world, brings us right into the present time, and then sees all the way to the end of human history when the times reach their fulfillment. So all of God all of time, and all of creation, all things in heaven and on earth. Scientists and philosophers have for a long time searched for a so-called theory of everything, one force or phenomenon that can explain, make sense out of this universe in which we find ourselves. Well, that's what this doxology offers us, if not a theory of everything, a vision of everything, a purpose for everything, so grand that it encompasses all of God, all of time, and all of creation. So right from the get-go, we are reminded of how great God is. Second thing that strikes me about this doxology is how relational it is, how personal. Jesus Christ is mentioned by name or personal pronoun nine times in those eight verses. You and I are mentioned, not by name, but by personal pronoun, us and we, eight times in these eight verses. Five times Paul uses the expression, in Christ. That's about as close as you can get to a person. Jesus isn't just with us, he's in us, and we are in him. 
It's incredibly personal. God is both great and he's personal. The third thing that strikes me about this doxology is how good it is. Listen again to all the positive things Paul tells us about, about God. He has blessed us. He's chosen us. He loves us. He's predestined us. Now, don't get too distracted by that word. Most scholars agree Paul is simply using that word collectively to describe all people who come to God, that his attention for all of humanity is that we were meant to belong to him. That's our destiny. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed his will and purpose to us. Now, why has he done all this? Because we've earned it? Because we deserve it? Because we're so lovable? We haven't even asked for it. It's because of his grace. Because of his undeserved favor towards us. Because of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In other words, God hasn't just loved us, chosen us, redeemed us, forgiven us. God has graced us. Now, we don't typically think of grace as a verb, but it, it, it is a verb to grace someone. And if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around what it means to be graced by someone. It's sort of the opposite of being punked by someone. Now, you may not all be up to speed on that expression. It's kind of a cultural buzzword made popular by this uh, MTV reality show back in the 2000s. To punk someone is to play a prank on them. It's to trick them. It's to deceive them. It's to sneak up on them and catch them off guard and ultimately embarrass them. It was to surprise a person in a bad way. If you've been punked, you walk away feeling foolish, embarrassed, humiliated, and maybe even ashamed. Well, to be graced is the opposite of that. To grace someone is to surprise them with acceptance, with welcome, with kindness, with forgiveness, with affirmation, with generosity. When you've been graced by someone, you walk away feeling honored and loved and valued and blessed. So Paul's reminding his readers, he's reminding us that we have been graced by God. And that's what worship does for us. It reminds us of just how good God has been to us. Not because we deserve it, but simply because that's the kind of God that he is. And we need that reminder. Earlier this week at a staff meeting, the, the staff and I were thinking together. We asked ourselves who or what we might become if not for grace. If we hadn't been saved or healed or changed by grace, who or what might we have become? It's an interesting question. As I thought about that for myself, I shared with the group, I don't think I would have been a bad person. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have been a bum or a creep or a loser. I mean, I came from a good family. I, I was a good student. I worked hard. I'm a good guy. I probably would have become, I think, maybe a high school English teacher. In my dreams, maybe a filmmaker, something like that. I would have lived a fine life, I think, apart from the grace of God. 
it just would have been a small life. I would have missed so much. I would never have understood this grand story, the big picture of what God is doing in human history and why he's put me in particular here on this planet. All the things I enjoy in life, my family and my friends, my work, my, uh, the arts, the outdoors, none of them would be charged with the presence and the power of the one who made me and made these things and gave them to me to enjoy. It would have been too small of a life if not for the grace of God. Listen to what a few others from staff said. If not for the grace of God, I might have become a money-driven pleasure seeker, a high-priced, sarcastic, bombastic professional, an incredibly self-centered human, an alcoholic. I'd be striving to make my own name famous and expecting my spouse to complete me and fill the emptiness inside me and being so disappointed when inevitably they didn't. I would have been consumed with bitterness and hate towards an individual who hurt me and my family instead of having restoration with that person. I wouldn't have been adopted by a loving Christian family and would likely have ended up lost, bitter, and far from God because of hurt, loss, and a birth family that wouldn't have been able to take care of me. Who or what might you have become if not for the grace of God? That might be worth talking about over lunch or dinner today. When we come together to sing songs and read scripture and share stories and connect with each other, we are reminded of just how good God has been to each of us and who or what we might be apart from the grace of God. And we need that reminder on a regular basis. I do. What strikes me about this doxology is that it stands in such stark contrast to the circumstances that Paul and his readers found themselves in. It's so positive, and their circumstances were so negative. Remember, Paul's a prisoner as he writes these words. He may not have been in a prison cell. He was probably chained to a Roman guard all day, every day. But he was cut off from his family and his friends and his work, and it was looking increasingly as though this, this prison sentence would end with his execution. Paul, Paul is not in a good spot. And, and neither are his readers. The Ephesian Christians were a persecuted minority. They were on the margins of society. They were considered heretics by the Jewish community, rebels by the Roman community, and fools by the enlightened Greek community. Life was only going to get harder for them. Not to mention they're experiencing all kinds of problems in their church. Division, anger, immorality, family challenges, and Paul's going to speak to all of them. But before he does that, he begins with worship. He reminds them of just how good God has been to them and of the good things that God is doing in the world around them. This doxology is so rich with, with imagery and emotion and energy. You, 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 can, you can almost 
You can feel it coming off of the page. You can picture Paul pacing back and forth in his cell as he dictates or, or dragging that Roman guard with him by the chain as he dictates letter and, and he raises his hands and he punches the air and the scribe tries to keep up with him as he goes as if he's experiencing grace all over again in that moment and wanting his readers to experience it as well. That's what worship does for us. We need that reminder. This week, we mark the passing of another 9-11, that tragic day in our nation's history. I'm sure you remember what happened the Sunday after 9-11. The churches and synagogues were packed. People brought their, their pain and their hurt and their fear and their loss and confusion. They had to bring them somewhere. So where did they bring them? To houses of worship. They, they, they needed a place to express what they were thinking and feeling and struggling with. They needed to be with people who were feeling the same things they were feeling, and they needed someone from somewhere to speak words of perspective and hope and comfort into their experience. Thankfully, we don't have a 9-11 every week. But every week, things happen. They happen to us. They happen to the world. Shootings, hurricanes, and riots, controversies. This week, the suicide of a popular megachurch pastor on the West Coast. And just recently, the, the passing away of the Reverend Dr. Michael Haynes, longtime leader in the African-American community and the greater Boston community, 40 years pastor of 12th Baptist Church in Roxbury. A member of the church or fellow clergy said, a great and mighty tree has fallen in greater Boston. These things rattle our cage. They, they, they knock us off kilter. They scare us. They make us sad or mad or confused. And so we bring those things to church with us. We can't always preach to them directly. We would be changing our sermon every Sunday if we did that. But as we talk to God about what's happened this week, as we sing songs that remind us of God's character and his work, as we hear people tell stories about how God is ministering to them, as we reflect on God's word together, as we bring our gifts and reminding us to trust God again, we, we find ourselves comforted and helped and healed. We remember that God is good even when life is not good, even when people are not good, even when nature is not good. God is good, and worship reminds us of that, and we need that. Now, good things happen to us, too, every week. Joys and triumphs and celebrations and connections. And, and we bring those to worship with us as well. All our joy and exuberance. And we sing and we pray and we share and we tell stories about them. And we're reminded that all these good gifts come to us from a God who loves us, who gave them to us in order that we might steward them well, that we might share them freely with the world. He has graced us. And every week, we remind ourselves of that. I've shared a quote with you many times before, but it's so foundational, not just to worship, but to the journey of life and faith. 
Worship finds us in our dislocations and relocates us in God. Finds us in our dislocations and relocates us in God. Every week, we bring our stories to church with us, however small or sad or successful they might be. And we discover that God is telling a greater story and he's inviting us into it as well. And I need that. I bumped into a Grace Chapel guy around town this past week. He had missed church on Sunday, so he was a little bit embarrassed about that. And he's, that's just what you need, right? You skip church and you bump into the pastor that week, but that's, that's how it worked. So he's kind of new to church or coming back after a long, long time, and so he explained to me how, just how important church has become to him and to his family. So much so that, uh, that he, just, he just hates when he misses. He says, he said that for me, it's like pressing Control-Alt-Delete on my computer. It just resets everything. It clears the deck and gets me ready for the week to come. That's why he's glad for the live stream, he says, so he can catch up when he has to work or be away. And, and we're glad for the live stream as well. But it's not like being there, he said. And it's not. We experience grace when we gather for worship because we are reminded of God's goodness to us and to the world. And we need that reminder on a regular basis. So this year, we want to invite you, we want to encourage you to make Sunday worship a weekly priority. Now, I know there are certainly other times and other ways and other places you can worship by all means, but something happens when we come together as seekers and believers with our stories and our experiences and our longings and our needs. Something happens. God speaks to us and he meets us and he graces us with his presence. But if this is going to work, this worship thing, if we're going to experience grace and worship, we're going to have to extend grace and worship. I think you know what I mean, but I'm going to say it again. If we're going to experience grace and worship, we have to extend grace and worship. Worship is so personal. It's so subjective, isn't it? I mean, we all bring our different traditions, our temperaments, our personalities, our ethnicities, our religious backgrounds, our generational perspectives. We all bring them to worship. We all have different tastes in music and art. We see and experience the world differently from one another. Some like worship to be exuberant and expressive. Others worship better when it's reflective and more reverent. Some of us dress up for worship because we want to look our best for God. Others come as we are when we worship because we want to bring our authentic selves and not try to pretend to be somebody that we're not. Extending grace in worship means believing the best about each other. It means not passing judgment on each other's styles or preferences or motivations when it comes to worship. It means finding joy when the person next to you is resonating with some aspect of the service that may not be working well for you. It means recognizing that some people are moved by words and by reason. Others are moved by imagery and story and emotion. 
We, we do our best to bring a variety and to offer a variety of times and experiences of worship here at Grace. And this year, we want to be very intentional about drawing on the full palette of the worship arts, timeless hymns and contemporary music and ancient creeds and sound and silence and light and art and drama and reflection and sermon, all of it. And worship isn't just about what happens in the sanctuary. Out in our lobbies on all our campuses this Sunday, we have set up what we're calling grace walls. So a grace wall is kind of like a prayer wall, but instead of leaving a prayer, you leave a word of grace. You might respond to a simple prompt like, I experience or experienced grace when? Just pick up a piece of paper on the table out there, write down a response, I experienced grace when? Or maybe you want to reflect on that question I just mentioned a few moments ago. If not for the grace of God, who might you have been? Just write down a few lines, write it down and stick it in the wall there offering them up as words of praise and celebration to God. Let's allow the Lord to surprise us, to grace us in worship this year. So in just a moment, we're going to have a chance to do that. We've allowed ourselves some time to worship in response. But before we do that, I'd like to hear from someone who, has, who regularly experiences grace in worship here. So I'm going to invite Dennis if he'll come and uh, share a little bit with us. Uh, would you welcome Dennis as he comes? Now, if, um, if Dennis looks familiar to some of you, he should because he's often on the platform, one of our platforms, on any one of our campuses, uh, hiding behind a drum kit. So we brought him out front today. Uh, Dennis, just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you came to Grace Chapel and involved in the worship ministry. So first of all, thank you. And quite frankly, it's awfully odd to be up here as opposed to back there. So <laughs> forgive me a second. Anyway, um, like a lot of you, um, we were religious growing up, and church was a very big part of our life. Um, but as we were going through, church was more of a duty. Uh, we were going to church on a regular basis, my wife and I, um, but God was always a very, very important part of our lives. But church was where something was lacking. Anyway, flash forward a little bit. Our daughter was in um, uh, junior school, and um, one of the parents came up and said, what are you passionate about? What do you love doing? And I said, well, I play drums. And he said, do you play drums in church? I'm like, they don't have drums in church. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. He's like, why well, go to Grace Chapel? He said, you should check it out. So we had heard about Grace Chapel, and anyway, flash forward a little bit, um, my wife and I started to come in for a little bit. And, you know, we were pretty bold. We sat up in the third row from the back up there. Um, <laughs> And, you know, without waiting for somebody to say, that's my seat, get out. Um, so, um, but it was a bit too much for us. We had to do a couple of what I call drive-bys. God had to get our heart going. Uh, and then around 2012, it just clicked. And I don't know why. We were not attending church. It was just, um, just something was missing. I wanted more out of church. We started attending, and for the first time in my life, I brought a Bible to church. Uh, and I learned so much. I had a notebook and, and Bible, and I was proudly holding it, and I learned so much in those first couple of months. Uh, flash forward a little bit, my wife started serving downstairs in Kidstown, and I'm, of course, enamored with uh, music and saying how much it brings to worship service, and I'm like, I need to do that. Reached out. Uh, I actually fractured my ankle right beforehand. I'm like, this God saying, do you really want this? I'm like, yeah, I really want it. Um, anyway, I got the audition. Uh, worship 
uh, pastor said, you'll probably serve you know, once or twice a month maybe, we have a big staff. And I said, okay, that's great, but he didn't know me. And I keep a little journal. So I started serving in 2013 and I've just surpassed my 600th service at Grace Chapel. <laughs> At, ju at just about all of our campuses, right? At, at, uh, that's the greatest thing. Um, it's not just here. You know, you talk about here. Here is wherever you're at. Um, <laughs> I have been thoroughly blessed. So I started here. I call this home base. Uh, but then I was called to Watertown. Hello to my Watertown <laughs> friends and family. Um, and I, was, I served there for about two and a half years. And I just loved it. And I loved the community. I loved the feeling of it. Uh, and then I was pulled back here. Uh, and then I met the worship leader in East Lexington. I'm like, hey, put me in. Uh, and then I, I was blessed with uh, Wilmington. Aaron put me in. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, GC at night is now one of my places that I go to on a regular basis. So I am just thoroughly blessed to be someplace every week, as long well, as it's someplace. It sounds like you're here more than me, actually, Dennis. So that's a lot bless you. But um, you've got kind of a unique perspective uh, in different venues and watching the whole congregation worship. What, what are your some favorite moments? How do you experience grace when you worship? So first and foremost, what I really want to say is um, even though it looks like we're performing up here, we're not. Um, it, it is a blessing to be able to do what we get to do. And I'm speaking on behalf of the entire worship arts large team. Um, it is just a thorough blessing for us to be able to get here and to be able to let God actually flow through us and invoke that spirit. That's why we do it. It's that spirit that we bring into the, into the service. Um, and then, you know, as I think about some of my favorites, obviously Christmas and Easter are always great, but I've served in, in I think, every capacity. You know, the, the, the solemnness of a Good Friday and then the, the lift uh, of an Easter after that, Ash Wednesday. Thanksgiving Eve is one of my favorite services. If you've not attended, please do. It's an awful lot of fun to give thanks to the Lord our God. Um, and a couple that really stand out. I remember once in Watertown, we played a song and it was just really powerful and there was something in the air. Pastor Robert was there at that point and he came up after and he said, did you feel that? And I was like, yes, you did. It, you could actually feel that. That was a special moment. Um, and then, quite frankly, anytime somebody takes the time to come up after service and say, that was really special. And it wasn't our playing, it brought them into a moment. That's what's really special to us. So whether it's anything, you know, night of worship, just be there. And as I said, there is any one of the campuses. They're all unique and special in their own way. Uh, East Lexington is fabulous. It's only a couple miles down the road. Free coffee and donuts, just so you know. Um, <laughs> GC at night, Pastor Tim does a great job. I love it there. I love what's happening in Wilmington. And Watertown is just such a lovely community. I have not served in Foxborough. I did do a rehearsal, so right. uh, a little bit of a drive, but I haven't been there yet. All right, well, thanks. Uh, Dennis, just quickly, tell us, tell us one, one way worship enriches your spiritual life. So for me, um, when I get to look out and... And I can tell, obviously, when everyone comes to service, not everyone's on the same wavelength. Um, maybe something is great in your life, maybe something is not great in your life. But, you know, when I look out and I see somebody swaying, somebody with their arms up, um, somebody with their eyes closed, really absorbing the message, the words, the words from the songs are from the Bible. And I'm saying, I'm getting the chance to do that. God blessed me with music in my soul, a love, a passion for what I do. And I get to do that. I'm, I'm locked with that person. So if you don't think I'm looking at you, I am. Uh, 
Well, Lord bless you. Can we thank Dennis thank for sharing with us? I don't know about you, but I'm with Dennis. I need that every week, and I can't get enough of it. So let's, I just want to encourage you this year, whatever your habit has been, to make weekly worship a priority in your life. And can I encourage all of us to extend grace to one another as we worship, inviting God to surprise us and to grace us in ways we might never have experienced before. We're going to have a chance to do that in just a moment as we, uh, as we worship the Lord and as we bring our offerings to him. So why don't we pray and prepare for a time of worship together? Lord, we are grateful for this time and place, for the people around us, for the gifts of music and art and for the truth of your word and the work of your spirit. Things that many of us enjoy every week, some of us for many, many years and We don't take them for granted. We're so grateful that we have this time and place and people and scripture. Lord, we pray that we would not take it for granted, but that week by week we would come with expectant, engaged, and gracious hearts, ready to hear from you and connect with each other, be changed on the inside, and be sent out into the world to share this amazing grace with the world around us. So we invite you to meet us in these next few moments as we worship, as we bring our gifts to you, as we lift our songs of praise to you, as we welcome you into our hearts and invite you to send us out in the world to be about the work of the kingdom. We thank you for the promise of these moments and of the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.